Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. Today is another Author's Shelf episode. I'm here with Stephen Bruce. You know him as, well, as the author of a whole lot of things. Stephen, you've been around for a while, but uh, your latest book is the 16th installment in the Vlad Talto That's series. That's correct, yes. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, but today you and I are going to talk Roger Zelazny's Lord of Light, which should be a very interesting discussion. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. So uh, before we get into all that, I'll just remind everybody to go to thelegendarium.com. If you want to see past episodes grouped by author, by subject, you can get all of these author shelf uh, episodes on a page there uh, at thelegendarium.com. We also have the calendar for upcoming episodes if you'd like to see what's going on there. There's a link to Discord so you can join the conversation that we have going on all the time. And there's a link to Patreon if you would like to support the show at patreon.com slash legendarium. Okay, Whew. all that's out of the way now. Steven. Let me know if my smoke gets in your nose there. <laughs> Transmitted via uh, yeah. microphone. Yeah. yeah. It's a, No, I love it. You're old school. You've got the leather hat. For those aren't, who aren't watching on YouTube, if you're just listening, Steven's got the old school leather hat, smoking a cigarette, got the coffee. You're like, you're the, um, the platonic ideal of the writer. <laughs> Uh, in his cave, right? Yeah. Tell yeah, me I'm wrong. No, no argument. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody... So yeah. Lord of Light. Lord, Lord of Light. This is the, the book that you chose for us to do. And there's a theme. I, I, I want to I ease into this before I ask you my first question for you. There's a theme going on with uh, the author's shelf these days where somebody will pick a book that is a few decades old this one's several decades old uh and it's one of those books that i know i i should have read by now oh man it's been sitting around and never quite got to it oh finally stephen bruce asked me to read lord of light i've got an excuse to do it now um and then inevitably and this happened most recently with uh, ursula le guin where i'll get through ursula le guin uh, one of her books and go huh okay, wait, I need to do that again so that I understand what's going on. <laughs> so that's been my experience with so many of these. Um, but as I said before, the microphones got turned on in the best way. Uh, so let me ask you my first question, same question I ask every author who comes on here, which is, why'd you pick this book? Uh, I've said this before in interviews, but when people ask me what made you want to be a writer, uh, a friend of mine handed me Lord of Light when I was in high school and I read it and I said I could spend my life making people feel the way this makes me feel okay so ooh, or I guess course, I raises the question trying to <laughs> well yeah there is that so how old were you when you first came across it oh boy I'm gonna guess 16 maybe mm. 17 kind of that golden age for sci-fi yeah. and fantasy yeah. to, to get introduced to it. Um, okay, so how did it make you feel then when you were a teenager? And how do you feel about it on a reread these days? The same way. It, I, it's hard to go beyond wow for, for, for isolating feelings. There's a... 
Okay, this this is going to be really boring if all we do is talk about how great it is. <laughs> Don't um, worry, I've got sure, a I've got sure a few rounds chambered but, and ready to fire. But um, some people in my in my critique group, uh, Will Shetterly and Emma Bull, have pointed out that as a writer, you can learn more from a good B grade novel than from a masterpiece. Because in a good B-grade novel, you can see how it's constructed, how the author gets his effects, and you can kind of, oh, that's cool. I could try something like that. Where something like Lord of Light, I don't know. I just, I just, ah, uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> uh, the use of language, the uh, reality of the characters. Um. So to be clear, you're not saying that this is a, a well done B grade novel. You're calling this the masterpiece, and it's tough that to I can't learn tough to really learn that. something from it. Exactly. I don't think I've learned a thing from it as a writer, other than wow, that's cool. So what? Um, you know what? Let's go ahead and just revel a little bit in the hey, that's cool kind of stuff. What are your favorite things? What are the the characters or the events or the the writing that makes you go, oh my Ugh, gosh, I love this. So much. Um, the use of words. Um, a grin of pain made his mouth a bow. His teeth, the arrows, clenched. Hmm. I call that good writing. <laughs> I mean, and just the opening. I mean, how do you get a better opening than uh, his followers called him Mahasamatman and said he was a god. He preferred to drop the Maha and the Atman, however, and called himself Sam. He never claimed to be a god, but then he never claimed not to be a god. Right there, we're establishing the tone and the feel that there is a... Uh, there is some deep and powerful stuff happening and simultaneously the author is going to wink at you every once in a while. I'd say a lot. Uh, you're right. It really does set the tone. One of um, one of the spots that I marked that gave me a kind of a dry chuckle was uh, later on, I think it's chapter three or four, where, um, you know, we've, we've established this pantheon and then we come to realize that, oh, these aren't gods the way we understand gods. They're advanced humans, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and there's this great moment where there's a door and the door leads to, uh, you know, the goblins oh, basically yeah, and yeah. on the door, there's a sign, you know, and he's using all of this elevated mythological language to get you to the door. And then you read the sign on the door and it says, uh, Hey, by the way, don't open this. If you don't want to die a horrible death, uh, thanks signed your deities, you know, whatever. <laughs> I can't remember yeah, the exact yeah. language, but there's <clears throat> that kind of. Uh, that constant current of um, what do I want to call it? Casualness to go along yeah, yeah, with yeah. that mythological that, that's nature. A, that's a good way to put it. And, and the mix of them is delicious. It's so easy to go over the top one way or the other in, in playing with language like that yeah. to, to go too far one way and, and, and maintaining that balance is amazing. Also the book contains one of the most, horrific puns in the history of literature did you catch it i'm not sure i did i'm ready though 
I didn't catch it until like the fifth time I read the book. Okay. So I don't know if I want to give it away right now, and, and for people who haven't read it, it is kind of a spoiler. But uh, oh no, you got it. at this point they they can read it. Or, there's no such thing as a spoiler for a book that was published in 1967. All right. So. Um, I think it's in these uh, the second chapter. Um, Sam is trying to arrange to get a new body. He's getting old. And he goes to the city where he can do this and runs into a neighbor of his, the Shanavirabek. And, you know, things, even uh, hijinks ensue. And having been convinced he's offended the gods, he uh, arranges for the Shan of Irbeck to go in his place and and get the body that he's expecting to be damaged or, right. or something. And the Shan, all unknowing, does this and comes back and they meet. And uh, one of his retainers says, well, it looks like they played fair. Uh, seems okay. And the Shan says, what are you? And then he stiffens and flecks, flecks of uh, saliva appear. And his body starts shaking and he falls off his horse. Then the fit hit the Shan. <laughs> I did. Oh, my gosh. How did I not get this? That's amazing. Because, it's just, because he doesn't make a point of it. It's just buried in the text. You know, I mean, it, it's it's like, it's not its own line. It's, you know, in the middle of a paragraph and just keeps going. He's calling, <laughs> only, calling no attention to it. The only person I know who ever got that on a first reading was my father, who was uh, never read science fiction until I started writing it. But he's, you know, he was a good dad and uh, very scholarly. Um, you know, his specialty was 20th century German literature. So he wrote, read, excuse me, as a scholar and very carefully considering everything. Mm. And when I load him that book, all of a sudden I hear this eruption of laughter coming <laughs> from his study. It's, you know, it's funny that, uh, that juxtaposition between the humor that is, it veined throughout the the kind of meat that he's offering up um and, and it is it is a funny book there are some members of our discord who i'm sure are listening to this so glad that i finally read the book um and i i i'm glad i didn't disappoint them that i <laughs> that i got a good kick out of it it's if nothing else it's pretty funny uh, in a lot of different places, but it's, it's not just that, you know, if we're talking about, uh, if we're talking about that marbling, the meat of the story, then the meat of the story is something else entirely. That's a really good way to put it. Marbling. I'm going to steal that and pass it off as my own. <laughs> that, that is a, a lovely analogy for how we use certain effects in writing. Mm. That's excellent. Well, you're welcome. Nice. I, I tip my non-existent cap. I wish I was wearing a cool hat like you, but uh, <laughs> if only. The, uh, um, sorry, go on. No, I don't remember. I just spaced what I was going to say. So no, go that's all right. Well, I, w I wanted to talk about the meat of the story. And maybe for those who are listening to this, uh, not having read the book, um, I should 
do I, i'm not this book defies synopsis but i'll just give you a, the broad strokes this is about um colonists who long ago came to a new world if i'm understanding this correctly uh yeah. with their great technology and they ended up kind of peopling this world but they are still around so you have this entire planet full of uh of individuals and families and nations uh you know millions upon millions of people and they all come from these what what are called the first and we only get to know that that is the structure as the story goes on through a series of long vignettes shall we call them i don't know if that's a there, there's an oxymoron for you a long vignette where there are seven it chapters could be seen as a collection of novellas bingo yeah each chapter is a is a small semi self-contained story and by the time you get to the end of it it has kind of or even by the time you get to the middle of it it's yes. kind of laid i didn't out realize that on. everything between the first and last chapter is a flashback first time i read it I was very confused. Right. Yeah, because the first chapter, we've got um, Tack in his ape body, which right. he then acquires in chapter five or something like that. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Blanking. You know, this is. Uh... But anyway, let me let me go on and, and kind of circle back to what I said at the very beginning, which was by the time I got to the end of this and I had read all of these uh no novellas novelettes uh throughout this story i got to the end and had a very similar reaction like i said to a Le Guin novel or when i was a teenager the first time i read tolkien's uh, silmarillion i got to the end and went okay sure and went back to page one so that i could actually comprehend what i had just read it's kind of how i'm feeling about this um was try to think back to your first time through was it confusing to you was it oh yeah you know did you get to the end and kind of scratch your head um, yes and immediately turn back to the beginning and reread yeah. it because it was such a joyful experience in spite of my confusion <laughs> an actual legitimate non-ironical use of that must be wonderful i didn't understand it at all <laughs> No, that's I, that is exactly what my experience is. I I don't know when I'm going to get to do my reread. I hope it's soon. Um, do you have a copy handy? I you know I don't. I mine is in the house. I'm out in the studio right now. I do, but God knows where. It's uh, <laughs> I just reread it. It's in the at the very end, the very like uh, the penultimate page, I think, when he's saying what has me what you doing the what has become of these people <clears throat> there's a passage where he mentions there's a there's a story about uh a bird it doesn't matter but he gives you the different interpretations of what it means depending on whether you're a moralist a social reformer a romantic or i think and i think a couple of others and sort of that really encapsulates the book is because that's what he's doing he's telling you a story that you can interpret differently depending on you know whether you're a social reformer or, mm -hmm. or a romantic or a moralist or uh, a mystic isn't that how and, oh sorry, which i guess on. is true of all books in a way but he's very aware of that I think it's it's true of 
uh, all the best, I shouldn't say all, but most of the best books. There are truly great <laughs> allegories out there. Um, you know, it, it's so, I, I don't want to say this is the only way you can write a story, but for the most part, the best books we have are open to interpretation. You know, it's exactly. uh, the, uh, Tolkien's uh, applicability versus allegory, you know, that whole concept yes, is yes. very important. Uh, and I got a lot of that as I was reading through this, where I would come to a portion and, oh, here we go. You know what? Let's go lowbrow, Stephen. I'm going to compare this to um, Captain America, love. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Okay. It's the second Captain America movie where uh, longtime listeners have heard my spiel on this. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies because as you're watching through it, as I watched it the first time, I realized what the writers had done, which was give you something that you could put your own allegory on top of. And it, it's meaningful to you where, you know, you've got the evil cabal organization kind of shadowy thing taking over everything. And some people would be like, aha, ha, that's the dastardly uh, globalist UN thing. And then other people would be, ah, oh, that's the imperialist Americans and all that, you know, you so you can fit whatever you want onto it. Right. right where right. as I'm reading Lord of light, I had a few similar moments where I'm like, wait a minute, is he trying to preach, you know, cause again, this was in the late sixties. Is he preaching some kind of, you know, pacifists message to me as the reader. And then the story goes on. And you're like, well, no, that, that didn't really, it here because right. now he's giving me uh, something else entirely yeah. speaking of there's a uh I take, take a little side journey because you reminded me of it um there's one of the best fight scenes in all of literature in that book um, uh is it the four gods versus the demons no okay which one? Oh, yama yama and rill yes and which to me is always been in literature what the Inigo Montoya was in the film. Mm. It's like, yeah, that's how you do that. So um, when I was in my short-lived attempt to uh, become college-educated, <laughs> one, uh, one of the classes I took was stage combat. I took two quarters of it. And my final project for the second quarter was choreographing the Yama World fight scene. With uh, At that time, I was studying Shotokan Karate, and the guy I was working with was a brown belt in judo. Nice. We had a lot of fun with that scene. <laughs> we sure, threw man. each other all over the stage. So, it was so great. Break it down. Describe the fight scene and why you love it so much for for people who maybe it's been a little while since they read it or they haven't gotten around to it yet fight scenes are like sex scenes in the sense that they <laughs> the pointy end goes in the other person uh, that's true well not always in a sex scene well played however <laughs> um in that what's important is not the action but the development that the action either triggers or is reflected in. Um, the reader not the reader should come out of it different. The characters should come out of it different. In a fight scene, if only one is alive, that he he should be different, or our understanding of him or her should be different. Um, 
in that fight scene, as it develops, we are learning about the background of the world. Uh, we come to understand the two characters better. It definitely advances the plot and sets up a lot of things that are going to pay off later. And in the middle of it, they stop and quote Hindu texts at each other. Because why wouldn't you? Just have a little jam sesh. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's just it's just astonishing. Um, and it's not the it's not the kind of bang bang fight scenes that uh, we're often used to now. It's it, it takes a long long time. This is pages yeah, yeah. worth with tons of dialogue. Yep. Uh, so and I, you know I'm I'm of the I, I'm a Dumas fan. So mm -hmm. tons of dialogue in a, a fight scene is where I live. Yeah uh for by the way you can't bring that up without me referencing another author shelf episode of if anybody hasn't listened to it our episode with brian mcclellan he chose the biography of alex dumas senior uh and oh, it was wildly interesting, interesting so i yeah i had to do some studying of 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 there's a particular edition that is a magnificent translation of the Three Musketeers. Hmm. <clears throat> and I was able to lend my copies, uh, Little Brown and Company, 1888. Wow. To Tor when they did their paperback of it, and they let me write the introduction. Hmm. So I had to do some studying of these people in order to do a halfway competent job. And it was really fun. Absolutely fascinating person. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I don't mean anyway. to totally sidetrack us, but I uh, just want to remind people that that's there. Um, okay, so back to the fight scene, Yama yeah. versus Rild. I This is a standout. This, in fact, might be the scene that I remember, you know, if I didn't read this again for 10 years, and then somebody asked me, what do you remember about this book? That would probably be the first thing that pops into my mind, uh, is this fight scene. You have Yama, who is known as the god of death. Um, and you know, it's, Hey, it's the God of death. He's scary. He's, you know, demanding that real get out of his way. I'm on a mission. I'm going to, you know, murder this guy and, uh, real stands in his way. By the time you get to the end of the scene there, Zelazny has built up a real, uh, at least for me, a real pool of, uh, sympathy for Yama or understanding where he is no longer purely an antagonist. Uh, right. And that's, right. you know, could be the influence of Rild himself. Maybe that's yeah, just who exactly. Yama always is, but it's, it's masterfully done characterization wise. And then uh, just a few pages later, the conversation between Yama and Sam completely changes your interpretation of what happened in that fight. Mm. It, yeah, uh, go, go on. Uh, and which again is a man. I mean, it, you know, Sam says, could he have beaten you? No. Did he know that? I don't know. Think about it. Okay. Yeah, he knew that. So he deliberately went to his death. Why? And, and, and throws all this at you in which is, uh, for people who haven't read the book, what's going on is 
the first, as you mentioned, the people who first arrived, have set themselves up as gods over the rest of the world, and particularly the gods of the Hindu pantheon. And uh, the main character, Sam, who some say is a god, others say isn't a god, <laughs> um, nice. is opposing them on the basis that they are oppressing society. And so he sets himself up as the Buddha to uh, oppose the Hindu gods. And of course, this is all done with in, in the context of science fiction and with a feel of fantasy. I've said before, no distinction between science fiction and fantasy can survive an encounter with Roger Zelazny. <laughs> and he uses that part of his storytelling uh, kind of actually mirroring as i understand it i i am going to butcher this and so you know let the emails roll in that's fine uh but my understanding is that uh, buddha the the og as we might call him these days did begin his movement as a political protest uh that's which, my understanding too I, you know, I'm, all, I'm not an expert. I could be wrong. Yeah. But that is also what I picked up. So, yeah, like I said, let the corrections flow. That's totally fine. Um, but back in that time, there was almost no distinction, if ever, uh, between political and religious life. You know, they were very tied up with each other all over the globe. This has kind of uh, been the state of mankind well, sure, for a long, 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 thing. I mean, the, uh, the, the English Civil War took on... Um, you know, religious significance because that was how they interpreted. That was what they had available as tools yeah. to interpret what was going on. Exactly. So you you have uh, peasants fighting each other over different interpretations of the Gospel of John. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so it's. I thought it was interesting that he used. It, he sets up his Hindu pantheon and then throws a buddha in there and yep. back to that fight scene um you've kind of got a sense of real who this guy was and how he became so devout his former assassin becomes a, a a devout buddha like uh, character and then what i love about that is the kind of juxtaposition between his ideological purity and the cynicism that sam has when exactly. he sets the whole thing up yes says, yes yes and, and i'm i'm not totally sure where to go with that on a personal level and how to how to think about this or use this in my own life but isn't it interesting that something that was born in cynicism can then be purified in some way and become something greater uh something something that is actually good and not Which, cynical interestingly now that you mention it is a uh is a lovely metaphor for a lot of things that happen when writing as well. Because hmm. you might start out saying, I just want to tell this uh, this really simple, basic story, and then the story takes over from you and turns into something you had no idea you intended, that, that you were planning on, and it, and is, is hitting at different levels hmm. than you were aware of. Can I ask you, nice. you've written you know dozens of books by now and uh, how often does that sort of feeling happen for you 
where you know it's it's not it goes from hey this is this is work this is a chore to a, a, a joyful chore perhaps I, I don't mean to make it sound negative but this is work to oh this is actually kind of transcendent in a way or this is it at least transcending what i intend. yeah I, I i try to set that up if i can <laughs> i i since i became aware of it as a really cool feeling to have um i've sort of tried to create the conditions for that to happen uh, which I do by formulating a question in my mind at some point as I'm writing the book, usually pretty early, and using the book to work out the answers or to explore that question. And it's rarely anything that the reader would would be aware of, but it kind of keeps me going. And it, mm. it, 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 it gives me things to play with. And presents the opportunity for the book to surprise me. You know, whoa, okay, I didn't know I believed that. Well, interesting. <laughs> anyway, back to Roger. Uh, sure, sure. Let, let me ask you this then, uh, if we're curious about where to go next with Lord of Light. Is Sam a protagonist? And are the rest of the gods antagonists are there good guys and bad guys is this a, a white hat black hat story or is it more complicated than that in your mind uh in my mind it's more complicated than that sam is certainly a protagonist uh, yeah sam, i should uh, of sam is, is speaking for us yama is much more complex mm. he goes through transitions well that's that was one of the early things i discovered when i was reading everything roger has written um is that i was taught in english class in high school that there are two kinds of characters static and dynamic a static character is the same person at the beginning of the story as at the end and the dynamic character changes and i guess roger missed that lesson no one told him it was okay to write static characters <laughs> The, the least, you know, the most minor spear carriers in his stories have what today we call an arc. They're, they're different after having been through the experience, whatever experience they have, which is really cool. I like that. Even down to uh, you, you have what are called demons, right? In this, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, bastardized Hindu religion that they've set up on this world. The original inhabitants, uh, they're kind of more ethereal, uh, unembodied spirits. They call them demons. Uh, and at one point, I think it's in chapter four, <laughs> Sam is possessed by a demon. Okay. So, let that sink in for just a moment. How many weird things have we brought up that he just like <laughs> threw into the pot of this story? We have demonic yep. possession. <laughs> and you, so, so Sam is now possessed and forgive me. I can't remember the name of the, the demon character. Give, give me, there you go. Give me six more reads and I'll have that under my belt. Um, and, and, and it's kind of terrifying. Sam's very being is, is subsumed uh, and taken over by this demon character. And by the end of the chapter, 
you really dig this demon guy. He's he's yep. pretty cool. And he himself goes through significant changes through exactly. that chapter. My gosh. So you have demonic possession in which the demon has a character arc. What kind of book is this anyway? You know, that's one of those chapters where I just throw up my hands and go, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, because every character has his or her own agenda. I mean, even um, Kali... Mm. One of my favorites. Fairly, who who comes closest in a lot of ways to being an antagonist, isn't really an antagonist. Is is she's someone with her own agenda? Now, I will say, I think one of Roger's weaknesses as a writer, um, his women are not are are often um, weak as characters. He sort of got around it in this book, uh, not as much. But there's still some, uh, there's still elements of that. Um, in that generation, a lot of men felt that women were an alien species that we couldn't really understand. And I think Roger had a little bit of that. Yeah. We can't understand them, so why try? Uh, interesting. Interesting. Um, no, she she was I one of my favorite characters to come across. We don't really get to dwell with her the way that we do with some of the others that we've talked about. Um, but uh, but the way Sam relates to her and how that kind of um, it's a it's a very much a roller coaster with Kali through the whole story, and um, and it's nice to see how. I, she might be one of the more static characters in the story now that I think about it. Uh, but the way she affects Sam gives him a lot of his character arc. Not to say that she's totally static. I don't know. No, she isn't. And look, look at the ending in particular. Oh, look at where yeah, she okay. ends up. Um, oh, yeah. So who's, who's your favorite to read then as you go through this? Favorite character? Yeah, yeah. Probably Yama. Okay. The when God I was, of death. yeah, when I was at that impressionable age, you know, sixteen or seventeen or whatever, he came to re represent all that is cool. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So it's uh, just down to hey, it's a joy to read this character. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, there's something to be said for the the rule of cool here. Mm -hmm. So, um, Stephen, I I don't know what year you were born, and I'm not going to ask, but you might have a little bit better than idea than I do of what was going on culturally in the '60s. That this book, do you feel like he was reacting to anything, commenting on anything uh, well, that was going on back yeah. in the day? Partly, and this gets back to what you were saying about uh, he threw things in. Mm. Um, as a philosophy, I have a deep, abiding, passionate hatred for postmodernism. <laughs> All right. But its effect on art was not necessarily, you know, it, it can't be, uh, you can't, you can't oversimplify it. Mm. Um, I think Roger was extremely influenced by the postmodernists. Um, if if you compare another of my favorite writers, Gene Wolfe, Gene Wolfe is the, one of the last of the great high modernists. Mm. Every word, every piece 
of the edifice in a Gene Wolfe's story is all, they're all working together to build to a single point. They're, they're beautifully and elegantly constructed and everything works together. Toward that kind of grand narrative. Yes, whereas with uh, a postmodernist, whereas somebody like uh, Roger or Chip Delaney, for example, who would be another example, I'm going to throw that in there because I think it's cool. And I trust the reader to interpret and put things together for me. And for me, that works. But uh, if you look at another one of his books, Creatures of Light and Darkness, Hmm. which he originally wrote as a trunk novel, but uh, ended up being published thanks to Chip Delaney. Um, It's the most extreme of, of what you can see in all of his work of I mean, he's got gods from all over the place. He's got, you know, uh, uh, Skagenok Abyss, however you pronounce that, from Norse mythology, uh, bouncing off Egyptian gods, and 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 all with with a science fictional underpinning. Um, that's kind. That's kind of his approach, and he makes it work by being brilliant. Oh, is that all? Oh, okay. That's I'll all. Just, I'll go yeah, get my degree in being brilliant and then do that, that too. That's kind of what I learned from reading Roger is, oh, okay, be brilliant. Wonderful. Thanks so much. <laughs> Very helpful. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I wonder now about people who approach this book, especially younger than me. I'm, I'm of a slightly older generation than uh, some of the more online people, I suppose. But yeah. Um, but there's a tendency, I think, now for people to construct their own uh, grand narrative that we had in, in modernist uh, philosophies and works like Gene Wolfe, like you're talking about. People construct their own grand narrative. Um, and then you have something like Lord of Light thrown at you. And I, I'd be curious to hand this book to somebody who is you know, 23 years old uh, or 20 years old and say, what do you make of this? And there would be, I I would assume a lot of the stuff that he throws in there. Hey, let's have, oh, geez. (laughs) Let's have my daughter sing to me through the the monitor out here in the studio. Excellent, I approve. (laughs) It says, uh, yeah, let's let's have them set up a, a Hindu pantheon because then they can have a caste system and wouldn't it be interesting to see how they oppress using this? And then we'll, oh yeah, okay. So now he's going to be the Buddha to fight against that. And at the end of it, you have a kind of Christian missionary character who is building up his own society. And it all- And he's the, he's the real antagonist too, right. which is delightful. <laughs> but it all it, it's all done without much regard for any of these like philosophies or religions or systems. He just throws it in there um, and uses what he wants out of it to make his own stew. Uh, And I'd be curious to have, uh, to hear from somebody who does not care for that kind of postmodernist breakdown, like you're talking about and you know how it goes for him. So you also reminded me of another one of my favorite lines. Oh, okay. I'll bring which it is on. When uh, Nariti, the Christian, mm-hmm. meets uh, another character, meets Jan Olveg, and says, oh, you're, you're him. 
well, that means you're a Christian. And Chan says, occasionally when I run out of Hindi swear words. <laughs> that is pretty good. That is pretty good. All right. Well, let's let's begin the process of wrapping up our discussion of Lord of Light. Anything else that you want to bring up as far as uh, why people should pick up this book, why you love it so much? Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts on Lord of Light? Um, for me, it has the entire, uh, it has the whole spectrum. It's got characters I deeply care about. It's got writing that will occasionally make me stop and my mouth will drop open just in admiring the beauty of a sentence. It's got humor. It's commenting and discussing and investigating what is it that makes us try to make the world better. Mm. which is pretty huge to me. I mean, you know, that's, that's a fascinating subject. Um, and, and, and a plot that just moves forward like, uh, like a, like a truck just won't stop. It's, it's just powering through. Yeah. Like it's... a Minnesota snowplow during a blizzard. <laughs> Starting in starting in chapter two, right, or after the after that prologue, that's actually a, everything else is flashback, right? Once we get into that, then yeah, it moves moves pretty well. Um, if I were to hand this book to somebody now, I would give the, give them the same advice that I give. I, I did a video a few years ago on YouTube about how to read the Silmarillion for the first time, and oh, cool. um, and okay. it's essentially what it boiled down to was this is not a novel. This is something else. So just start without your expectations of what a novel is, and you're already ahead of the game. I went into this one um, completely blind. I knew that Lord of Light existed, but I'd never known anything about it. And I decided, you know what? No, I'm not going to read up on it. I'm just going to go in blind. Um, and, uh, and it, it seems like a book that can at least that can use some expectation setting, you know, Maybe. telling somebody um, these I, are, I, these are novelettes that you're going to go through and uh, interconnected short stories. Very effectively tell a bigger story. I mean, yes. the more, the more you reread it, the more you will see how elegantly the pieces fit together and turn into one, you know, into a grand narrative. Yes. Yeah, no, my, my point just being, if you are expecting to start in chapter one with the farm boy, who's then going to go on an adventure and you're just going to follow right. that adventure, this is not a novel in that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. In this, this is, it, it isn't strictly linear. First and last chapter are, in some sense, a frame right. for everything else. You know, if uh, if we're talking about marbled meat, then they're the hamburger buns. Okay, now <laughs> it's good. gone too far, Stephen. <laughs> now we're talking about food. Can't go too far. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Lord of Light, the last thing I'll say is I know that we barely even scratched the paint on this. Uh, we, we just talked about a little bit. This is one of those books where on the legendarium, I assume we could get a panel together and do seven episodes, one for each chapter uh, and have plenty to talk about for an hour. So before you say it, everybody on discord, I know we didn't get to X, Y, or Z and I'm sorry about that, but <laughs> that's the way these episodes go. Steven, I'm really glad you chose this novel. 
uh, not there I go using that word, this book. I'm really glad you chose I think this novel book. is accurate. Yeah, it's yeah, it's fine. And, uh, and I'm glad that I've got this one under my belt. Now it's it was a delightful read. I have some complaints, but they, they're not even worth bringing up at this point. Honestly, uh, it was uh, it was a very, very fun one. So thank you for choosing Lord of Light. And I hope people go check that out. Speaking of things to check out, Stephen, you've got a new novel yourself uh, that came out earlier this year. And it is the 16th book in the Vlad Taltos cycle. Is it a cycle? A series? Uh, something or other. Series, I guess. Yeah. And it's I called, know. I practiced this before the mics came on. It's called Psalmoth. Yeah? All right. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. You round of applause for me. So tell us a little bit about it. And uh, it, for those who aren't familiar with the series and with this book, why they should start picking these up. Oh God! I don't know. You want you said something before we started about an elevator pitch. Uh, <laughs> if you've got one. <laughs> yeah, The Sopranos meets Lord of the Rings. That was the quickest elevator ride I've ever had. That's fantastic. I don't like long elevator rides. <laughs> the Sopranos meets Lord of the Rings. That's fantastic. Um, anything else you want to say about it? Nah. All right. Well, you know what? I, I'm sure there will be some people who appreciate that. But what I'm going to do is link to it in the description for the show so people can, can go check it out. Um, I'll link to the latest book, the one that just came out this year. But I'll also find a link to book one so people can go people, start the people series. tell me um, I did my very best to write those books so they could be read in any order. Oh, interesting. Doesn't mean I succeeded, but that was the effort. <laughs> and people whose judgment I trust tell me that Salmoth is, in fact, a reasonable, you know, will stand on its own. Oh, okay. All right. That's good to know. And I tried to do them all that way. Uh, I think, I, I believe Jim Butcher is doing the same thing and, and a better job of it than I did um, of making each book stand alone. Hmm. It's something I like. I, I don't want to, you know, Oh, you've got to start here. You must read this book first. It's yeah. And you it's know what? Annoying, especially as things get long, as long as this one turned out to be. <laughs> I was just gonna say um, that you do have some Jim Butcherian qualities about you uh, personally as well. So, uh, for people who enjoy Butcher's stuff, uh, if they haven't picked you up, Stephen Bruce, we will uh, link to you in the description so they can go check that Thank out. Thank you. So, all right. Thank you so much for doing this episode. It's such a delight. Thanks again for choosing the book. Uh, Stephen Bruce, thanks for coming on the show. You are very welcome. <laughs>